listening to the Taming Hinges podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances Podcast. My name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today's episode is entitled Faith. Uh, I think I finally finally got into it. I finally got into the important part of spirituality. And I got there in a little bit of a sidetracked method. Uh, Last episode, we talked about love and I talked about how You know, in the end, after I deliberated over it and I thought about it and I really, you know, explored the idea that love had nothing to do with spirituality. Love is just this conceptual idea. It's a way in which we express things. It's a way in which we see things. It has a lot to do with our mental states. Um, But it, I don't think it has anything to do with spirituality. I really don't. And I was kind of at a loss after that episode. I was like, you know what? That sucks. I really... I really thought, I mean, haven't we been taught that almost, you know, in every faith or every, well, not every, sorry, every organized religion, every, I don't know, every conversation about family units and relationships and all these different things that love was this like spiritual things, like this thing we didn't understand, but I, I don't think it's through. It's true. It's, it, it's a, a measurement system. It's, it's one of the conceptual coins of how the mind translates things from the body to the other, from the body to the mind. That's why we have things like oxytocin that we call the, you know, quote unquote, the love hormone. It's just this translation thing. It's just, um, it's animalistic in some senses. It, 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 it's coercible. It's corruptible. We've, you know, go back and listen to that episode. I, I get into it all. It was disappointing to be honest. It was a little bit disappointing to come to the realization that love has nothing to do with spirituality. That being said, that episode was the first time I tried something different with my topics. Um, so I had gotten to the recap on episode 42 and I had kind of broken down everything. Um, if you're new to the podcast, please go back to episode 42 and start there with uh, the recap. It covers everything from day one of the podcast all the way forward, you know, self-awareness, mental health, what, that, what I break that down as being, um, my definitions for all that. And then my advancement into what this thing known as spirituality is and what it looks like in the human system. So after the recap, you know, I was like, all right, let's dive deeper into spirituality. What's a method I could go about? trying to do that a little bit. What's a method I could try out to, um, to better understand, okay, where's the direction I can go with what, what spirituality is. And I had a lot of options. Um, you know, the Merriam Webster's dictionary thing, you know, picking up topics that way, but I didn't feel, I didn't feel it was quite appropriate because there was, I wasn't guided in any way. I'm using that term loosely, but I didn't feel like there was anything spiritual about, just picking topics and going with them. So I tried a new method last episode before I I really honestly didn't know what to talk about after the recap episode. So I grabbed my handy dandy tarot deck that I've been learning to use. And, uh, I, I I picked cards 
And that's how I came up with the love topic to get into. And so I thought about it and I was like, you know what? This is a really interesting, I don't want to call it an experiment, but it's kind of an experiment, a really interesting way to go about picking topics, specifically when talking about the spirituality thing, right? There's plenty of different versions of spirituality out there. And one of them to a lot of people has to do with astrology and tarot and divination methods, things like prayer and all of these other different methods that we, we seek guidance from some sort of outside influence to give us some sort of direction. Now, yes, there are plenty of philosophers, philosophers out there all through antiquity and even to the modern age that would argue it's just your own self, you know, your subconscious directing you in the right moral and ethical pathways and blah, 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 blah. That's all great. Sure. That's your own personal faith. And that's why today's topic is faith, because in today I went ahead again and coming up with a topic for this episode, I decided I'm going to let the cards figure it out because I don't know what to talk about. So I'm going to let the cards figure it out. So the cards I pulled, I'm not going to really get into. Okay. I, I guess I will a little bit um, before I get into the full topic here. Well, all right, let's do this. Let's, I'm going to break, we'll break down faith. Like I usually do with Miriam Webster's dictionary. We'll give a definition and then we'll go over the cards that I drew and how they got me to um, this topic as, of faith. So Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines faith as a noun, allegiance to duty or a person, otherwise known as loyalty, uh, fidelity to one's promises, sincerity of intentions. Um, it goes on as a, another, this is number two, uh, belief and trust and loyalty to God. That gets a little bit more defined specifically to a religious standpoint. Fair. Belief in the traditional doctrines of a religion. Okay, broadens it out a little bit. Good. Uh, firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Interesting. Complete trust. Another interesting one there. Something that is believed, especially with strong conviction. Um, especially a system of religious beliefs. Interesting. Another note is on faith. So we have the word faith, and then there's the, the saying on faith. I, I did it on faith, or I went on faith. And this is where I'm going to tie it into the cards that I picked here. Um, on faith is without question. And I think that's not quite fully appropriate, but it's definitely halfway there. And here's, here's why I, I mean that going back to the beginning here though, allegiance to a duty or person and let's throw that one aside. Fidelity to one's promises, sincerity of intentions. Now remember I've defined intentions uh, before on this podcast, episode 30 and awareness of intentions really gives us a great overview of what is really going on. When we really start paying attention to the intentions of something or someone, it gives us a better idea of what's happening, specifically in our own selves. Now I've defined self-awareness. The awareness part is attention to intentions. So in this idea, sincerity of intentions is faith, right? Well then by that regard, we can have faith in ourselves. We can have faith in our, another individual, or, you know, we can have faith in what someone else says or what someone else does because we're paying attention to their intentions. Beyond that, we have, let's take the more broadened spectrum of the second definition here, firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Okay. Well, I mean, that's what we get into when we talk about trusted sources and, you know, when we talk about the media nowadays, can we trust what they said and those types of things? So 
by that definition, faith gets pretty broad, and I think it should. So that being said, um, we'll throw we'll throw the last definition, number three from Merriam-Webster's dictionary, back in here at the end. Something that is especially, I'm sorry, something that is believed especially with strong conviction. Now, going into uh, for those of you that don't know. Uh, the tarot deck or a deck of tarot cards are a story. And there's a story with definition. And the story of tarot is the story of the fool. The fool is the representation of us. We are the fools. And the story of the fool is, is essentially presented in the major arcana. Um, the major arcana are the first set of cards, I'm not going to get fully into tarot. I, I want to do that with a professional at some point. I want to really have them break it down for people. But the the arcana cards are the cards that tell the story of the fool. So we have this fool, and they go on this journey, and they learn things, and it, you know, it progresses onward until the end of the arcana, and then it kind of starts over. It's a cyclical idea. And then you have the, the minor arcana with the trump cards, and they give credence to the idea of what happened on the full story or what might be happening on the full story. So you have the, the suits, the uh, cups, coins, swords, and um, wands. And they, they each have a specific subset of ideas and, and things they deal with. So you can get this great kind of divine or divine divination set of, of things to give you a really good standpoint of how to look at something. And it really is that to me, it's a tool. All divinations are tools of, of giving us a focus or a way to think about something, i.e. faith. It gives us something to have a faith into or an outlet for that idea of faith. So we can look at something and, and kind of broaden our spectrum of ideas and, you know, how we're looking at something and then narrow it and have a better understanding of, okay, I've thought about this. This gave me a good perspective and this is where I'm, I'm sitting on it. And so this is how I came up with the topic today as I picked these cards. I started with one card as I usually do. And then I kind of went from there. And now when you work with tarot decks, it's very important to not just go with the definitions and the defined ideas of the cards you pick. Cause each one has that. And typically you'll have a, a book that will, that will give you um, some sort of breakdown. There's the Rider weight styles. There's a bunch of different ways out there. I like manga and I, I, I used to watch a lot of anime. So um, I found a really cool uh, manga set of tarot cards, if you will. And uh, just like the art style. I really, I, I'm mentioning this because the art style is really important. What you glean from the, the card itself just the picture of the card and the and what's on it is a part of the kind of figuring out what the cards are trying to tell you. So the first card I picked was the lovers. Now that's typically saw seen as oh it's about love and you know which was interesting cuz last episode was about love. But the lovers card really defines choice, like a, a, a decision of sorts. You know a really defined decision or idea or you know Something very important, a situation or decision that you have to make that's very important. And it could be about love. It could be about business relationships. It could be about anything, really. And that's a relationship of two things, a decision that's going to happen. And then the second card I picked was the Two of Cups. And the Two of Cups is it's kind of like um, the way I understand it is 
it's like a, a decision, a split decision, a, like a, a really important, like I'm making this decision. It's going to happen. And whatever comes after that comes after that. So looking at these cards, I was like, okay, well they both seem to deal a lot with love. Um, and so that being said, I was like, mm, well, I already covered the love topic. So what's this really trying to tell me? So I picked another card to get a little bit more, um, more definition. And that's what the cards do. You can just keep going and getting a little bit more definition and working your way down. The next two cards that came up were the Ace of Coins and the Hanged Man. And this is where I came up with, oh, I should talk about faith. And and here's why. Because the Lover's Card and the Two of Cups are kind of like, um, together to me, they represented a a decision that will be made. But it's it's on instinct. It's on, it's almost a spiritual, like, it's it's just like a split second like decision that's going to be made and you just know it's right. Like this is just the decision I'm going to make. Whatever goes into that, your faiths, your beliefs, your morals, your ethics, your upbringing, everything that has made up you to that very moment, that's, that's what rules over that decision. You're just going to make it and that's the decision. That's it. And the Ace of Coins represents pretty much infinite possibility, uh, abundance, in all factors. Um, the hanged man, on the other hand, that, that signifies faith almost. It, it signifies the idea that, hey, you've made a decision and now, now you got to wait. Now you got to, the hangman can also mean martyrdom. Uh, it's been known to represent that for, uh, for, you know, like in readings is the idea of martyrdom, but thinking about that idea of martyrdom, right? And this is really where this kind of started to click together for me. Martyrdom is pure faith. People who become martyrs or have become martyrs or martyr themselves do so on faith. And I've, I've stayed away from this topic of faith for a really long time in this podcast because I didn't have a, I didn't have a stylized opinion of it. Um, I had a very blunt, logical, reasonable opinion of it. And that's not a balanced perspective because faith is a culmination of our decisions. And there's an infinite possibility to them, but they are defined and they are made. Our faith is the making of a decision. We have decided to have faith in something. And once you make that decision, it's made. Now you have to sit back and either wait or you gotta, you gotta watch it happen. And that's the whole perspective of faith. Faith is the process, not of making the decisions. That's based on beliefs and morals and ethics and all these other things. Faith is the action after the decisions are made. And when it comes to spirituality, I think it is that process of trusting the process to trust what's happening. That yeah, you've made a decision. You definitely felt like it was the right decision in the moment, but now you're going to second guess it. Now you're going to sit there and you're going to dwell in your own mind. So now faith brings in this weird aspect of mental health and self-awareness where we start second guessing ourselves and we start having these outside influences that start driving us in different directions. And we all almost 
don't know what to do. And we don't know what to do because that's the hangman situation. The hangman situation is the decisions have been made. And now we're just hanging around. There's no, we can't move. We're hang, we're, we're hang, the hangman is typically drawn or depicted as um, a figure hanging upside down or just hanging in general, but they're fully bound. Uh, they're just complete. There's, they have no way of moving or undoing themselves. They're just stuck there. Um, and it's often not always represented as like someone hanging, like on a noose, just, just bound up and hanging. Um, sometimes there's a noose involved, but it's really the idea of like, you're just stuck and you're just hanging there and you're, you're caught, you're a captive of the moment. And that's where faith has everything to do with the situation. This is the calm in the storm. You know, this is the, this is what drives a lot of individuals when it comes to the moment where their instincts and their, their intuition and, you know, all of those spiritual senses I was talking about, they play out. They play out in the idea of faith. Because faith to me is the in-between. It's the moments where we do second-guess ourselves and we don't quite know what's about to happen. We don't know the outcome. We've made the decisions and now we don't know the outcome. And it's well, it's scary, and it's it's what drives people mad. I think I, I I highly believe that those who lack faith succumb to outside influence of drugs and alcohol and and, and making poor decisions, following good decisions up with poor decisions because they're second guessing themselves or they don't know what to do. And they're not, they're not able to just let things play out. It's the realm of meditation. Faith is that time frame. The hangman is that representation of time time frame where you got to wait, but you got to, you got to, you can't move. You have to just stay put and you just have to let things play out. And that's what the ace of coins represents is there's infinite possibilities, infinite abundance. And so faith is this weird part of the cycles that I've talked about, chaos, creation, order, destruction. It's, it's, the, it's the leap over to the next cycle from chaos to creation, from creation to order, from order to destruction, from destruction back to chaos. Or even the cycles that are inside of the primordials themselves, faith is where that time lapse occurs. And again, it's a meditative process. It's a, it's a, it's a tough thing to learn. Religions provide us with a function of faith. And so I don't mean faith just to, I, we, I think we combine faith to religions quite often more, more so than not. And that's not appropriate. Faith and belief are, are far removed from an organized religion. Your faith is what you do after the decision. Trust the process. Um, wait for th- other things to occur. Not jumping to conclusions. Not jumping onto the next decision. Allowing that decision to come to fruition. It's this patience, almost. But patience isn't a virtue. It's a learned skill. And faith must be practiced. 
martial artists practice faith all the time. Specifically, they practice faith in the, in the system to continue to train over and over again without seeing any results. Faith is almost that thing that a lot of athletes and, and fitness people have that drives them and motivates them. They have faith in the process that this is going to make them a healthier person. This is going to get the mobility they want. This is going to get the strength they want. And so faith can be dangerous in that regard where we get to an end result and it's not the one we wanted. But maybe you just need to push a little bit harder, push a little bit farther, push a little longer. This is commonly practiced in the culinary world where, you know, someone who's, I worked in restaurants for quite a bit of time. And one of the hardest things you learn in the culinary world when you start cooking is there's, there's two really important things um, to be a, like a good cook to, to, to you got to understand how to balance all these dishes and time frames and all that stuff. And one is turn the dial down. Things cook when they cook. It takes really long to take a steak out of the fridge, put it on the grill to get it to from whatever, you know, 32 degrees or well, well, not frozen, um, you know, 36 degrees, 38 degrees, put it on the grill to get it from that 36, 38 to, to a hundred degrees takes forever. It just feels like it takes forever. And it does. It takes a long time. But then to get from 100 degrees to 120 and then from 120 to 140, you know, wherever you're going on the range of rare, medium, rare, all that stuff, lightning fast, super quick. And you have to make the decision of, okay, it's done. And then take it off the grill. And at the same time, that's all occurring. You know, that time frame, you learn, turn the heat down. You don't have to cook everything on 10. You can cook turn down to eight, turn it down to four, turn it all the way down. Just leave the, you know, a little bit of flame underneath just to keep it warm. So you can, that's one of the most important things to learn is like, just turn it down a little bit. And then at the same time, learning the process, the, you know, there's cooking occurring. Like it's kind of hard to explain and maybe I can get into it at another time, but so I don't get too lost off the current topic, but so you have trusting the process, you know, that idea with athletes and, you know, things like that, or, you know, cooking, or even just in, just in learning, going to school, having faith in that idea of, you know, trusting the process. But beyond that, there's the, there's the ramifications of when it goes wrong. Like I said, like once you put the steak on the grill, that decision occurred and now you're cooking and you have to learn the different skill sets that go into with that. One of those is patience. You know, like that's kind of what I was getting into with like learning to turn the dial down is Things are going to cook. Orders are going to keep coming in. Things are going to cook. And you just kind of have to, they call it riding the wave sometimes in the culinary world. Like when you're on like as a line cook, you're just riding that wave. Tickets coming in, tickets going out, you know, and you're just riding the wave. I wasn't very good at it. You know, I was okay. Not that great. Um, I did a lot more expediting than anything else, but short order, that's when I can really fine dining. Not so great. Shorter cooking. Then I can ride the wave. You just learn like, oh, I'm just gonna let that ticket hang. 
but it's this faith in the process. You have to have faith in the people behind you that they're doing their job, that things are cooking, that, you know, more, it's just this whole amalgamation of it all. And that's where faith comes in. It's, it's the trusting of all of those spiritual senses. Like I was talking about and, we often, again, combine it with the religions, right? So let's let's dive into that idea because a lot of spirituality comes from that. But I want to kind of make the – I want to make the argument that spirituality requires faith, but faith is specifically based on your own personal experiences. And thus your depression and your self-awareness and your understanding of the world around you define your faith. Faith is the trusting in those experiences. It's the trusting of whatever it is you've been doing that led you to make that decision. And once that decision occurs, it's the trusting of the process to having faith in what's going to come next. Having faith that I made the right decision. I don't need to change anything. I made the right decision. And that's tough because it weighs in the mind. And thus, the system of organized religion gives a really good fundamental or or foundational idea of what to have faith in, right? To have faith that your God is going to take care of you or that, you know, if you leave this up to God, it'll it'll come out the way it's supposed to. Um, Having faith in one's, you know, spiritual community where, you know, if I just go to church and but this is where dogma sinks in. The, the, the really big, dangerous quicksand area is that realm of dogma. That if I just believe, you know, it's going to be all right, it's going to be all right. And this gets back into when I was talking in the, lo- uh, the love episode, last episode, about love and light and how empty that statement is. Because you can't have faith in something that's empty like that. Faith is a culmination of things. Just like what's the best way to put this just like patience is a you know virtue but first it's a learned skill so is faith faith is to be faithful is to be virtuous is an old saying um and when we talk about being faithful let's say in a relationship it's to have allegiance or duty you know from Miriam webster's dictionary Sincerity of intentions. Remember, this is all based on intentions. And to that degree, it doesn't just occur. Yeah, maybe it should be feel natural and all those things. And that's, you know, for the realm of counselors to decide. But it's awareness of those attentions and how they're playing out. And if you can have faith in that, then you don't really have to worry so much, right? If you have, let's use because I, I commonly refer back to it. I had no faith in my family unit. Growing up, I had no faith in it. I had no reason to believe I could trust them because at time and time again, they proved to me that they were lying or that they had their own intentions and, you know, they had their own agendas and they had their own best interests in mind. And they didn't necessarily give a shit what happened to me. You know, they didn't, they didn't care about my interests. They didn't care about my, and I know I, I, I make them out to sound like terrible people. They're not really. I'm sure they're fine people. I don't know anything about them anymore. 
Um, but back then, like as a young child, I was impressionable and they tried to apply. Some of them tried to apply like religion to me. And like, they tried to apply what my siblings had done to, you know, who I was. It was just this, all of these outside forces that they were trying to like mold me into or make me into or, or apply to me in some way without having faith in me just being me. I was super responsible. I was kind of smart. I didn't get into trouble a lot because I didn't like, I knew like I saw, I, I watched my siblings get in trouble. I watched my family members make stupid decisions. I watched, you know, I watch people try to force religion on each other and make these bad decisions that piss people off. And I watched all these things. And so I was like, Oh, don't do that. I, I had a really great upbringing in the sense where I watched what not to do all the time. It was just a, like a sitcom of like, don't do that. That's a bad idea. It's just going to lead to bad things. So I paid attention to these things, but they didn't have faith that I wasn't going to do these things. They didn't have faith that I was going to be, not better, but like they didn't even have faith in my intelligence. It was a cop out and I knew it was a cop out. They didn't, my parents didn't look at the grades I got. They didn't look at, you know, what I was learning. No one gave a shit if I went like, okay, go to school because you know, you got to go do something, learn something, but they didn't pay attention to like, was I actually learning something? Was I getting good grades? Was I paying attention? They didn't pay attention to those things. They probably would have said, like, oh, we just have faith that you're smart. And you're like, it was common to hear like, oh, you're the smart one. Or like, you're super smart. Your book smart. That wasn't, they had faith in my intelligence. That was just like, oh, cool. We don't have to worry about that. Like, it was just like them putting a worry aside. And that's not faith in a person. Faith is sincerity of intentions. So if you have faith in your spouse or your significant other, you have faith in your children, your family unit, you have faith in your community, maybe you have faith in your country, maybe you have faith in the organizations that you deal with. Maybe you have faith in your religion. Faith is a broad spectrum idea and it has everything to do with paying attention to those intentions and having sincerity of them. If something is sincere in their intentions, if they are representing themselves the way they are, then you can have faith in them. Very easy system. If you look at it from that perspective, if you look at it from the, just like, um, patience is a learned skill before it's a virtue. People can practice faith in themselves. You can practice faith in others. You can practice in having a good sense of faith. And thus you can be more discerning. You can look at a situation and go, is this the right decision? It's been made. Do I have faith in that decision that was just made? Do I truly? Because if not, then I need to maybe make some changes. And go all the way back to episodes eight and nine, where I talked about choice and change, how choice begets change and choice is a correlation, changes the correlation of choices. This is where decisions come in. 
I don't remember the specific episode I talked about it, but when I talk about the yin-yang symbol and how before that we have this thing known as the wu-chi, which is comes before, and there's a, a separation of sides and all these things. This comes down to faith that I can trust my instincts and my intuition and this thing known as spirituality. Because as I said, those are the spiritual senses, right? Instinct, intuition, uh, insight, imagination is the, re the reference point of this. Can you trust your imagination? Can you have faith in it? What rules and defines your imagination? Often, again, the coercion of faith into religion, if that's your viewpoint, that's absolutely fine. But I think there's going to come a time where people can't trust the religious organizations and they can't trust the doctrinal religions. That's why I disagree with Merriam-Webster's dictionary that, you know, yes, they have belief and trust and loyalty to God, belief in the traditional doctrines of a religion. What happens when that falls apart? Well, we don't lose faith because faith is principle. It's not like love. When I looked at love, I was like, no, this is conceptual. This is not over-encompassing. This is not all forthright. Love was just a coin that made up measurements that had everything to do with a mental state and the way we see things and translate things. Faith, on the other hand, can be applied top to bottom. I can have faith in my body that I can do those push-ups, that I can, you know, go do this workload or that, or, you know, if I, when we lose faith in our body, it's very taxing mentally. So then there's that part, that part of, you know, mental faith that I trust my decisions. I trust the way I'm seeing things. I trust the inputs of the body to the mind. I trust the mind to the body. And then separately to that on top, I have these instinctual feelings and these intuition feelings. And that's why I picked up the tarot deck. And that's why I was like, you know what? I don't know what to talk about. I need a topic. I trusted the use of a tarot deck to give me a frame of reference to come to a topic. I knew I can, I, I have faith in my ability to just wax poetically about something or some topic. Um, that's probably what makes me a pretty decent public speaker is I can typically go out and, you know, have someone give me a topic and then talk about it in whatever reference frame we want, self-awareness, mental health, motivational, you know, persuasive in that sense. Um, that being said, if you have, I'm just going to throw it out there in the middle of this podcast. Uh, I am open to bookings for uh, speaking engagements. If you have one of those you would like me to to be a part of, uh, you can go to the website and um, send me a contact. It's on the contact um, page. There's a, a booking uh, button you can click and send me a information about it. But I have faith in that ability of mine. But I also had faith in, I'm going to let these cards tell me where that comes from. I don't know. I don't have a fully defined set of what people would call, you know, call God or a full belief searcher. I believe in there's some, some guiding force, maybe in, in some way or another, maybe some universal signal, or I have plenty of ways to define it. I just don't know what mine personally is, 
but I did have faith and trust that if I pick up this deck of cards and I do my methodology that I've learned of how to get cards to come out, it'll get me in the right direction to what people need to hear. And so my message is trust the process, sort of trust the trust that faith is faith and it has nothing to do with religion, but it has everything to do with religion at the same side. And that's why faith is a principle idea. Unlike love, love was just this conceptual way of seeing things and and working with information and, and measuring things. And thus it was corruptible and coercible. Yes, you can corrupt faith and you can coerce faith, but faith is faith. It is what happens after the decisions are made. And then we have to sit and we have to wait. It is what the hangman uses to get through the situation. When you're bound and you're broken and you have no way out and you just have to wait, that's that's where faith comes in. That's why a lot of times when you imprison someone, they find faith of some sort. A lot of the reform process in the United States of America relies on using, and I mean reform process, both in imprisoning individuals, incarceration, putting people in um, mental wards or in some sort of encapsulation as far as psychological or psychiatric help. Uh, And in the same vein, you know, putting people in situations in which the outcome is unknown, but they have no choice about it anymore. That would be a type of imprisonation. So people tend to find faith in those places. People also find faith in communal communal situations, such as when the introvert who has been into this thing so much their entire life goes to their first convention. And now they're surrounded by individuals of like-minded detail and idea. I've experienced this personally in my own life. It's a weird sensation to have been into this thing that everybody kind of like makes fun of you about and society as a whole doesn't really consider normal. I was a Western kid in the Western world of America who liked watching anime and like watching manga and, you know, for those of you who still think that's like for kids and stuff, I highly recommend going looking at the manga, I'm sorry, the anime, a silent voice. Um, it's on the archive in the, on the website under the archive under movie recommendations. There's a movie called a silent voice. A silent voice is, I don't want to, I would do my best not to spoil it in any way. A silent voice is the story of an individual who makes a bad decision and loses faith in who they are as a person and thusly has to try to correct that so that they can regain them there's the faith they have in themselves and also the faith others have in them and i highly recommend you buy a box of tissues, bring a friend or do it on your own. If you want to, uh, prepare to cry a lot because the story is 
so ridiculously well done, but it's also the best representation I've ever seen of a plot line and a story that literally would not work. I don't believe in any other medium than anime that this story is so profound and so touching and so just emotionally driven and visceral, if you will, that the only way it can be shown and the only way it can be told is through voice acting and anime and that the voice actors do a ridiculously good job. Now I have not watched the English dub version. I do tend to just watch things subtitles. Uh, it's just, just what I'm used to, but I've heard good things about the English dub uh, version. So that was just my side note of, but it's interesting that that story actually tells a story of faith, really, that has nothing to do with religion. It's just faith in one's own beliefs and one's own way of doing things and then losing that faith and having to go try to regain it while also trying to regain the faith of others. And that doesn't ruin anything of the part of the story. Uh, it's a tearjerker and it's, it's visceral. Um, it's just an amazing story, but it's an amazing representation of what anime can do as a storytelling platform, a storytelling medium. It's not all jokes and laughs and, and, and sexual stuff that anime gets a bad rap for or kid like stuff. No, no, this story tells a very visceral, real story of humanity and, and human nature and, and emotion and, and depression. And it, it's an amazing story. I highly recommend it. Um, but Growing up, that was kind of one. It was hard for me to find those things. Like it was this kind of budding medium in American culture that was just coming out of the Japanese animation styles and manga and all these things. It was hard for me to find because I was a poor kid. And like the best place I could go was like they had like three or four at Blockbuster. And like maybe there was like one or two books or something like that in the library that I could find. But eventually I found a community of people who were also into that stuff. And yeah, we got made fun of all the time. Like, oh, you're into this stuff, you weirdo, you geek, you nerd. You know, people are mean. Um, but eventually I found a group of people who I was practicing martial arts with that were also into it. And I got invited to go to a convention. And I had the typical, oddly enough, I was being made fun of about that. But I was also one of the people like, who goes to conventions? That's just weird. So it was a dual fold thing for me. I was like, oh, wait, hold on. I'm being hypocritical here. But I went to this convention and it was an amazing thing to be like, wow, I'm surrounded by, there's 35,000 other people here who were all kind of into the same thing I am into. And it gives you this weird feeling of like, not just inclusionism, not just, I don't know. It, it, it's a weird thing to experience. But as above, so below. Micro, macro. That's the macro. Like, I'm at this convention. There's 35,000 other people. We're all into this thing called anime and manga. And like, whoa, it's cool. It's crazy. And like, you feel, you know, you feel connected. You feel included. That also happens at the base level of your person you talk to at work who has a similar thing that they did that you kind of feel connected to. And it's a, it's a reference of faith. It's a reference of I've decided to be this type of person and have these interests and I'm cool with it. And whoa, 
here's this weird connection out of nowhere that I wasn't expecting of this other person or all of these other people who also have that experience and that interest. And that reinforcement is allow what allows us to learn more faith in our decisions and ourselves. This is why a lot of the time I pay attention to people's intentions. Remember, faith is sincerity of intentions, according to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. I pay attention to people's intentions when it comes to their interactions with me or with others that I witness. And I've said many times, and I'll continue to say, be very wary, or to go one step deeper, never trust someone who is constantly seeking your praise or your pity. If their intention is your praise and your pity, they have no faith in themselves, nor they have faith in you. They are looking outward to make themselves feel better about the poor decisions they're making or to make themselves feel more important because they don't. And it's sad to that degree. And I'm not saying belittle these people. I'm not saying, you know, be mean to them. I am saying maybe avoid them slightly in the sense that like, if you're going to get involved with this person, they're clearly in it for one reason and one reason only for you to make them feel good about themselves. And they couldn't give a shit about you. Guarantee it. So it's be very wary of people who are constantly seeking your praise or your pity. They lack a certain refinement of their faith. And they have some hard decisions to make and they have some hard lessons to learn. And hopefully they do. That's the story of the tarot deck. That's the story of the major arcana is for the fool to learn these things. So I don't fault people. Again, I, I say this all the time, but repetition is the mother of all skill. Ignorance is fine. You can be ignorant all you want. It's totally okay to be ignorant of something. It just means you weren't shown or you weren't taught or you didn't know. That's fine. That's okay. It's, it's complete innocence in that regard. It's not okay to be willfully ignorant. Willful ignorance is the root of all evil. That's why that saying projects a little bit farther. It, it goes, repetition is the mother of all skill. Failure is its father. I will not judge you upon your, uh, what is it? I will not judge you upon your actions. No, I will judge you upon your actions, but never disregard your failures. I'll remember it eventually. It's been a really long time. But essentially, it's this saying to say, you have to try. You have to put an effort. You have to learn by repeating and doing and failing at that over and over again to get better at it, just like we have to do with faith. But if you didn't know something, I'm not going to judge you upon the action. You know, maybe it was right action or wrong action. That's fine. It's what you learned in the end. That's really what to judge someone on. Did they learn their lesson? Did they learn the right action? Did they learn the right moral or ethical outcome? Did they learn the right process of having faith? Because if not, they're being willfully ignorant, and that's the root of all evil. That's where bad things come from. So that's almost like the grand scheme of faith, right? Like to have faith in the grand plan or the, the grand cycle of it all, that all needs to be defined by you. That's the story in the major arcana of the tarot is, is this process of learning and, and, and becoming more self-aware and becoming more, more everything. But a part of that is to know that faith is a learned skill. It's not, it's not something we just have. 
some people might say that oh, I've just always had faith, but it's been tested time and time again. And maybe it's been proven time and time again to them. And that, that makes up strong faith. That makes up adamant ideas, adamantite to be adamant in something, the willpower part of a, Ah, I gave it away. (laughs) Part of where I think I have to go with this process of spirituality is things like willpower and where that comes from. Part of it comes from faith, having faith in oneself in the process. So we have to talk about these things like faith and and the other ideas. And I'm going to continue to let the tarot deck kind of guide me towards the topics that I should be discussing. But there are things along the lines like willpower and the expressions of spirituality. And that's why I think faith is a important topic to cover now because I think people are going to be tested. Not only have they been being tested for a long time now, faith has been tested time and time again over the last, I mean, all the time, but over the last couple of years in modern society, it's really been tested you know, we have to ask our questions. Do we have faith in our judicial systems? Do we have faith in our, our big government? Do we have faith in the big banks? Do we have faith in big pharma? Do we have faith in the, the tech companies? Do we have faith in the social media companies? Truly, do we have faith in these things? Are they leading us astray or, or do we believe in what they're doing? And how do our own personal faith line up with those? I have faith that I'm going to continue to do what I can for others in the capacity in which I can do that. That's body work as a licensed massage therapist. That's this podcast when it comes to self-awareness and mental health and the, the, the adventure of delving into what spirituality might be. But there's some hard topics. There's some really hard topics to cover. One of those was love and how it has nothing to do with spirituality, in my personal opinion. And I think others will come to that conclusion as well, that it's, it's a subset idea. It's, it's a measurement structure. And if we keep putting it on a pedestal in that regard, we're going to fail over and over again, and we're not going to learn our lessons, and then we will be willfully ignorant, and it will become the root of all evil. On the other side of that, we can talk about things like faith from a non-religious standpoint, and we can leave religion out of this. I think one of the biggest things I'm coming to the conclusion of when it comes to spirituality is leaving religion out of it. Your religion gets to be yours. You get to define it the way you want to define it. You get to practice it the way you want to practice it. In fact, that was a tenet in which America was founded upon. And it's quickly something that others become very drawn to. One of the major defining factors of immigration over the years has been that, the practice of one's religion for themselves, to themselves, the way they want to practice their religion. Many wars have been fought over it, and and I've said before and I'll continue saying, we are at war. We have been at war. We continue to be at war. We're in a mental war. We're in an information war. We're at a spiritual war, a psychological war. It's it's, it's a never-ending warfare that humanity finds itself in. And there are individuals that want to propagate that as much as possible because they understand the power that comes from it. The power that comes from being the leaders in a wartime situation allows them to do crazy shit and no one to 
no one to second guess it because we have this thing known as faith. And we've allowed faith to branch out without looking at where it branched out to. We thought faith was a part of this religion thing. And that somehow someone who's in the same religion as you, you can have faith in their actions. They're a trustable person. A Christian, I can trust another Christian. A Muslim, I can trust another Muslim. A, you know, a Hebrew or a Judaic person, I can trust them. But it also has the opposite effect of breaking down that structure to say, I can't trust a Christian, I'm Muslim. Or I can't trust a Muslim, I'm Christian. I can't trust a uh, someone from the you know, Judaic community because, you know, I'm, I'm this or that. I can't trust a pagan. Look at these, these worshipers of many gods. How horrible. That was a breakdown. So instead of having faith in a, a fellow person, having faith in the connections of humanity, it got coerced into the, the representation of only having faith in those who believe the same thing you do. That's what's known as xenophobia. That's what's known as dogma. That's what's known as the breakdown of the Roman Empire. That's what's known as the breakdown of the probably the Byzantine Empire, the Egyptian culture, um, just about every major societal structure that's ever existed in the history of humanity broke down over a process of not being able to have faith in a fellow individual to do the right thing. And many times it was warranted because we're always at war. And this is where I have to have the hard conversations with people about being very careful about what you have faith in and updating your structures of faith very regularly. For a very long time in my life, I wasn't able to have faith in myself. I couldn't trust myself to drink alone. It was probably going to end with me trying another suicide attempt. That that depression was just going to go rampant, out of control. So I couldn't trust myself. I couldn't have faith in drinking alone. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It wasn't allowed. I, my sincerity of intentions were in question, very much so. So I didn't drink alone. I drank, I drank privately. Well, sorry, I drank publicly in a private manner, you know, off to the side of the porch, smoking a cigarette, drinking beer, and, you know, not really being a part of the conversations or being a part of the, the community there. But it kept me from drinking privately alone by myself in a dark room and hurting myself in some way. I couldn't have faith in some of my intentions when it came to myself in that regard, my suicidal nature, but also in the intentions for the decisions I was making because I was actively trying to do myself harm physically and to another degree, actively trying to put myself in bad situations to make myself more important, to look good. I was one of those people seeking praise or pity. And thus I learned, I can't trust myself. My intentions are not sincere. I want people to be careful around me. I want them to think about me in a different way that's not really truly who I am. So I had poor faith in myself, poor faith in my mental health, poor faith in my self-awareness. I could not trust, again, the sincerity of my intentions. Intentions being the key word here. I could also not have faith in the religious leaders that I was dealing with because they didn't want the best for me. I was provided an opportunity when I was studying Christianity to 
be some sort of speaker, leader, spiritual entity of that situation, but they wanted to me to fit their, their opinion of that. They wanted me to go to college and then go to seminary and, you know, be the pastor that they are. And they didn't allow me to speak publicly about my understanding of their religion and their faith and their belief structures. In fact, when I brought up things like home church, that's a big thing in China. The Chinese communities are very big on what's known as home church, a, a gathering of individuals in their own homes to practice their religion of Christianity. That's pretty big in China. That's how they do it over there. Most likely it's not like, it's not like a normal church you go to. It's more of a home church situation. Someone just hosts everybody and they have prayer and they have worship and those types of thing. That was frowned upon when I brought that up in the, the Christian communities that I was speaking in or, or, or learning through or, or about. No, that's not okay. That's, that's not how we practice faith here. And I, I've gone this almost whole episode without cursing. So here it comes. Fair warning. I don't have a mute. I don't have a beep button. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. You don't get to tell people how they practice their faith. It's not, it's not how it is. Now, going back to the hanged man card and how faith is that practice of meditation after the decision is made in that waiting period in the, what do I do? That anxious moment we get. That's when we practice our faith. One of the ways faith is practiced in a religious doctrinal sense, but also in a personal sense, is the action of prayer. They don't want you to know this. Just a heads up. The action of prayer is the action of having faith. It's what you do in the interim. When some big life decision has presented itself and you've made it and you don't know if you did it right, that's when you're supposed to pray. Now, the Catholic Church would like you to believe that you're not allowed to do that unless you go to the confessional and talk to your priest or pastor. And most uh, most Christian sectoral factors would prefer that you go do that with your religious leader. That, that's when you have to do that, have that conversation with your God. I'm not quite sure how that works in the Hebrew communities, but I'm pretty sure that doesn't exist. You're allowed to just have a conversation with God uh, in the Muslim communities. Prayer is an open thing you do all the time, um, but there's a structural nature to it as well. Uh, in some of the Judaic communities, I do know that there are, and I know I'm just talking about the Abrahamic religions right now, but I'll get into some more of them. In the uh, Judaic communities, specifically in the, um, I believe it's the Hasidic communities, there's a specific set of prayers in which there's this rocking motion and having prayer and worship. These are the uh, these are the practice of faith. What do I do in this interim moment? When I don't know what to do. What do, what do I do when I need guidance? What do I need to do when I need to talk to that other version of me, that spiritual body? Now, most people think that's ruled in in the Abraham community. Most people think that spiritual body is owned by or ruled by a creator of sorts. I'm not here to I'm not here to say that's wrong. Your faith and your beliefs are yours. Remember, they're going to be challenged. So I, I highly urge you to build up this thing as faith. If tomorrow it comes out that, and I'm just, I'm putting this out as devil advocates style idea. If tomorrow it comes out that 
we were genetically encoded by an alien race that was here thousands of years ago. And that's how we came to be as humanity that we know today. And our modern societies are not based on a God entity, but in fact, an alien situation of an alien body or, or factor outside of this world, which is kind of the definition of a God that created us, put us here for a reason. And they harvest us in some way, in some factor, or they just forgot about us. Do you lose your faith? Does it disappear? Does it just go away? No, it doesn't. Maybe you have to modify your understanding a little bit, but you still can have your prayer and your worship. This is actually very prominent in what's known as Buddhism. Buddhism is a philosophy. It's a way of understanding. It's a way of looking at things. It is not a religion. It's very common that I come across someone that thinks Buddhism is a religion. And I understand how we got to that idea, like that understanding in the Western world, but it's not. Buddhism is a philosophy. It can be applied to actually any religion. You can be a Buddhist Christian. You can be a Buddhist Muslim. You can be a Buddhist uh, Hebrew. You can, uh, or you could be a Buddhist pagan. You can, you can be a Buddhist anything. You can be a Buddhist line cook. You can be a Buddhist pastor. You can be a, a Buddhist soccer coach. You can, you can be a Buddhist anything. It's, it's a philosophy. It's a way of applying sets and of understandings to things. It's actually a methodology of practicing a faith also. So there are those spiritual Buddhisms. Hinduism is technically a spiritual Buddhism. It's the way of the Hindu people, but they practice the Buddhistic or the, the Buddhist methodologies, the, the karmic and dharmic body, the idea of reincarnation, wheel bearing body. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a lot there to unpack and I probably have to do that at some point because it's, it's a, it's misrepresented quite a bit, but yeah, you can be a Buddhist, anything. But there are, again, the spiritual Buddhisms, and they have their own practices of faith and methodologies of worship and practice and honoring. Um, to honor the spiritual bodies is, is a pretty pretty solid factor in most spiritual Buddhisms. Honoring the dead, huge practice. But it comes down to their understanding of what happens in death, which I've, I think I covered someone in the death episode back in episode 16. All of these things have to do with their faith. It's the practice of their worship, the practice of their prayer. Uh, New Age or Reformed Christians practice a faith in which you don't need a confessional and you don't need a church. You can just talk to God whenever you want to talk to God, wherever you want to talk to God. That has to do with the story of Easter and the wrapping of their Savior in the veil and the their Savior Christ bleeding on the veil and then tearing the veil in their in, in the reincarnation story. I've gotten into that before and I'm not going to do it right now because it's, it's a lengthy conversation. But in the Muslim faith, in Islam, there's the faith in the pillars of Islam. That if you follow the pillars of Islam, you will go to heaven. Because that's what they believe in. They Their belief structure says that at the end of this physical life, there is this reincarnation, which is what it is. It's a reincarnation, in my personal opinion, or a rebirth or return to God, in the house of God. And there's a set manufacturing way to get there. 
the thing that a lot of people mistook during the war on terrorism after 9-11 in the Western world was a singular belief structure that Islam had this jump the jump the line thing known as a, a, a jihad. That if you were going to war against um, non-believers, you instantly got into heaven. If you, you know, suicide bombers or death in the, in the physical combat of uh, kinetic warfare, that if you exalted yourself to God in that method, you jumped the line. That's a singular belief structure. It, it, it's a radical idea in Islam. Not all Muslims believe that. But just like we don't really understand the differentiation of there's Buddhism as a philosophy and then there's spiritual Buddhisms, and we don't understand that there's all of these different sectoral understandings of Christianity from Catholicism to Bapt- um, sorry, Catholicism to um, Mennonites to um, Presbyterians to the Amish to all of these different understandings of Christianity. And even inside of the Judaic communities, there's the Hasidic Jews and all of these different understandings of these canonical writings and methodologies that one can have faith in. There is the understanding that you have to come up with your own faith. And so in the Muslim communities in Islam, there's the pillars of Islam. Unfortunately, I have forgotten them. I used to know all five. I learned it in a middle school. It was a fascinating thing. The pillars of Islam are fascinating subjects of how one should live their life, not only to exalt their God, but to be a part of their community and to, to live peacefully with one another. The Sikhs are the ultimate representation of that. S-I-K-H, the Sikhs. Fascinating. Amazing people. Would most likely lay down their life for you and you have no idea who they are. If they could protect, you know, someone in a situation, they most likely will. One of the first people probably to give you the shirt off their back. It's part of their faith in their pillars of the way they should live their life. And so we have this giant misunderstanding that we are forever in this warfare I talk about. And that's why I left it up to the cards. I left it up to the tarot deck. I left it up to some other spiritual thing, this other health body, this, this connected piece, because oddly enough, the more I delve into this, the more I look at spirituality, it turns out to be the thing we're all connected to, but we spend the most time driving ourselves away from each other with. Yes, there's radicalism in the world. There's indoctrination, there's dogma, but it's pervasive through every belief structure. Every organized religious belief structure, and even in the personal ones itself, even in the tarot reading card community itself, those who I believe are tapped into the understanding of a divination, there's vastly different understandings. There's people who are completely against going with anything other than the rider weight method. The fact that I used a, a tarot deck known as the, the, the mystical manga tarot deck, they would be like, no, 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 that's not acceptable. You got to use rider weight. That's the only, it's the only one. There's individuals that go into this with every possibility of metaphysics and the study of 
secret societies and methodologies and we're just tearing ourselves apart both personally and communally all the time. That's why we're at war. Oddly enough, if you read something like, and I should wrap this episode off. I'm going to fair warning. Cause I know some of my episodes get pretty long. I'm about to go on a rant. before I get into that rant, if this is where you want to leave it, uh, please look at your, your faith and, and define your faith for yourself. That being said, here's my rant. We again are at war and oddly enough in all the things I've ever read, there's, there's truth in it all and there's dishonesty in it all. And you have to pick and choose what you're going to have faith in. And that's why it's a big discerning thing to understand what you do have faith in. And then what you do once you have that faith, what you do once those decisions are made or those beliefs have been set. You know, what do you do after you're taught a piece of this, uh, of English? You know, if you went to English 101 and you learned that periods go inside of parentheses when, a, when parentheses are used, if the, if the sentence ends with a parenthesis, the period goes inside of it, not outside of it. What do you do with that? Do you have faith and that's how you're supposed to do it? Sure. Seems legitimate enough. So you do it, right? And you don't think about it. That's having faith in the, the correct method of the English language when writing it. But there's different methods for that. Let's look at when you have to do annotations. Uh, annotations. There's MLM. There's, uh, what's the other one? AMA. There, you know, there's all of these different methods. But once a method's chosen and used, you have faith in that method, in that system, in that process. This has to do with martial arts communities and, and learning different martial arts situations. This has every, this has just, you know, coaching, learning how to play a sport. You have faith in the rules and you have faith that the other people playing the game are going to, are also going to follow the rules and you have faith if they don't follow the rules, then the referees will step in and they'll be slighted for it. This goes even bigger to having faith in our federal, um, actually I shouldn't use federal. We shouldn't have faith in the federal anything at this point. Uh, this is faith in the policing of our communities that you have faith that the police force will step in when the police force needs to step in and that we agree upon the laws and rules of, of the land. That's why there's this huge argument now that nobody really knows about it called sovereign citizenship and the um, law of the land occupation of the uh, land, dirt and soil and what rights we have against the federal government in that situation. The federal government is trying to take away your rights at a obscene factor in modern society 2022. They are trying to take away every right you possibly have. I have no problem saying that because I will, I will be happy to have that debate with someone. The federal government takes away every right they possibly can because it gives them more power. And power corrupts absolutely. The more power someone has, the more they want. So why have faith in those people? They had, do not have your best interests in mind. They have their own interests in mind. That's why you have politicians who are serial politicians, career politicians, who at no point in time in their careers have they made any more than one hundred fifty to $200,000 a year salary and are multimillionaires 
after just a few years on the Senate, a few years in the House, a few years as a governor. Because they're doing insider trading. They're, 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 they're taking funds from people. They're, co- they're corrupted. The whole system is corrupted. So why have faith in a corrupted system? You don't. That's the answer. I'm not saying go with pitchforks and burn things down. No. Peaceful resolutions. But you can't have faith in that. You have to take that representation and go, ooh, should I really have faith in this? Should I? Because here's what I'm learning. That we have this other health body. In all of antiquity, they talked about the spiritual side of things. And it wasn't the religion's that brought people together. It was the connection of faith. That's what brought people together. That there was this other thing, this other health body, and it was important. That's what true spirituality is, is simply an understanding that this other health body is important and we all can have faith in that idea. And thus the things that we do here in this life matter. The breakdown of society has been the corruption and the coercion of that idea that the things you do in this life don't matter. That it's all rigged, that it's all fucked, that it's all, it's all just shitty. That's what creates radicalism. That, that the things you do in your life don't matter to you. That apparently they only matter to the organization or the community. That's also not true. There's a function thereof, but that's our faith structure that we've lost. We just don't have the faith in humanity. And yes, I waited to the end to bring up that, that, that meme, faith in humanity restored or faith in humanity lost. We never define what that faith is. Albeit a very funny statement or a very moving statement when we talk about oh, faith in humanity restored, it's an empty meme, just like the love and light meme. We have to look at the underlying real piece to that. And no, people don't want to hear me talk about this because it makes it serious. It makes the funny ah ha 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 moment or the feel good moment serious. And we don't like that. That is the argument of comedy versus drama. The two faces of comedy and drama. They are connected. One person's comedy is another person's drama. One person's drama is another person's comedy. There is this seriousness. And part of the, you know, faith in humanity meme is Who's defining what faith in humanity is? You are. You're fucking defining it for yourself. I've completely lost my faith in society because I understand that society has lost their faith. That they're indoctrinated. They follow dogma. They let other people make their decisions for them and decide what the right actions are. And yet, even though they do that, they somehow believe that they can make statements about what that really should look like when they don't practice it themselves. When they don't take the time to have an understanding, when they don't put in the effort to understand there are fucking umpteen world religions that have come out over the years and they all have different understandings of themselves and each other. And there's not one right one. There's only the one that's right for you. And at the same time, you have to be responsible for the things that you believe in, the things you have faith in, so that you, if you do get coerced into a cult or a, a ridiculous emphasis of a, a, 
a radical understanding of something, you can wake up to it and you can be like, Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. That doesn't seem right because it doesn't fit into the interplay that what you do in this life matters both for yourself and others, but specifically for yourself. This is what broke down my want to live was having this never ending feeling that what I did in this life didn't matter. That's what pushed me towards suicide. This was just fucking ridiculousness and I shouldn't, I don't want anything to do with it. Has that changed? No, but my understanding of it did because my understanding of my spirituality started to come through and my understanding of my faith really started to light up. If you want to talk about love and light, there's a better conversation. The light that comes from someone who has faith in their action, in their being, in their methodologies, but true faith in themselves, not the community piece, not the indoctrination piece, not the dogma piece, not the religion, faith in their actions, that the things they are doing matter and they are right action. That's a part of Buddhism. Part of the philosophy of Buddhism is right action. It's one of the tenets to have right action. It's actually how you combat one of the hindrances or actually all of the hindrances can be combated that way. This is the same thing in the Christian communities. When we talk about sin to not be sinful is to be right actioned. That's the warning. They're all the same throughout all of the different religions, throughout all of the different belief structures. They're all the same, except for the ones that are radical and are outside and are just preaching for death and destruction and that people need to suffer to make your life better. Because there are people that absolutely believe that. They rule over others. They sit on boards of giant corporations. They sit in Senate and house meetings. They are leaders of countries. And no, I'm, I'm not trying to preach conspiracies here that there's these, you know, snake people or lizard people or blah, blah, blah. Those conspiracies came about from these little grains of understanding that there are definitely a set of people on this planet that believe they are better than you and that you should suffer for their lives to be better. That's not right action. That's not right method. That's not not being sinful. That's not following the pillars of Islam or, or being a, a good Muslim. That's not part of the, you know, any one of the real true understandings of faith that your actions matter. Because they don't believe their actions matter. They don't. They believe that they're chosen in some way or another. That's radicalism. That leads to death and destruction. That's what war came from. If you want to take a real crazy deep dive trip into maybe some other plausible understandings of history and, and the reality and mesophysics and all this other stuff, you can look at Manly P. Hall wrote um, The Secret. Damn it, I'm going to forget. I apologize. Um, it's not the secret of everything. Uh, 
I'll look at, it's on the archive. If you go to tamingendresses.com and look up the archive, there's an author, Manly P. Hall, writes, um, I think it's The Seeking Doctrine of Everything, but I can't remember. Um, I'll look it up real quick. It's a whole telling of all these different things. And no, not all of it's right. And a lot of it's based on Madame Blavatsky's um, uh, writings and it's part of the Philosophical Society. I'm sorry, The Secret Teachings of All Ages. That's it. Manly P. Hall's The Secret Teaching of All Ages. But even in reading that, you have to take in perspective pieces. Manly P. Hall covers the Atlanteans and what that could have entailed. Covers pantheons of gods and the spiritual side of things like uh, writers like Paracelsus and just a whole, un it's really almost unfathomable amount of information from antiquity and history. So what do you do with all that? You broaden your understanding. You challenge your faith. Here's a plausible situation. If you really look at it, it's completely plausible. There could have been these individuals, and I'm not like, this is not to like progress people. I'm going to lose a bunch of people on this one. This is not to progress, you know, conspiracy theories or to say like, you know, there's lizard people and like there's secret death cults and, you know, I'm sure it's possible there. Those things do are real, but here's a plausible understanding of what true history could really look like that we've just been lied to about. Totally plausible. I'm not saying this is it set in stone, just another way of thinking about it to challenge our way of looking at things, to challenge our faith in our government, challenge our faith in our historians, challenge our faith in our religious leaders, challenge our faith in ourselves and our understandings. Cause you got to do that. That's what the tarot deck fucking tells us that you have to look at the, the major arcanum is this story of the fool challenging their worldview and upgrading it time and time again to become better, become different, become more. So here's a, here's a, here's a challenge. Ready? Read Manly P. Hall. If you read a bunch of other, you know, Madame Blavatsky, all sorts of stuff that's out there. Paracelsus, just almost every philosopher, Aristotle, Socrates, all of these different people, right? It's plausible that there was this community known as the Atlanteans. And the Atlanteans were a faction of these people known as the Elohim. And the Elohim were a alien race, alien to this planet. They were an alien race of advanced technology so advanced that it would be mistrewn as magic. But the Elohim came to this planet and they settled and they did genetical experience, uh, experiments. And the genetical experiments they did bred essentially us. And then we have the Atlanteans who were the, the not better versions of us, but like the, 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 powerful caretaker us one of our first versions in fact if you wanted to add fantasy into this the atlanteans could be the great representation of what we call elves in high fantasy it was just this it's very peaceful operating community but the elohim were a broad spectrum so they weren't just one they were factional so you had the atlanteans who believed in the elohim or the elo poseidon 
they worship the rule of Poseidon. And thus, that's where the animal husbandry of horses come from. The representation of, of Poseidon having these water horses is just a representation that the Atlanteans were the first ones to breed and, and, and use horses. And they lived in these small communities of technological bubbles, essentially. Um, and that's why the Atlantis was a group of islands. And there were seven of those islands, and each one of those was ruled over by an, uh, an overseer. And one of the rules of the Atlanteans was that the overseers were never allowed to go to war with each other. They were, they were to, that was not okay. You couldn't, you couldn't try to take over another overseer's position or, or island or structure. And so you have the Atlanteans. And then on the other side, you also had another faction known as the Luminarians. The Luminarians, quite rightly, are represented in a lot of Eastern um, fables, myths, legends, um, esoteric practices. Um, they often, it got kind of twisted to say that they came from the, the moon, that the Luminarians lived on the moon, and they came down to collect um, certain things. I'm not going to go too far into it. But you have, so you have two different factions. And even inside of those factions, there was more factions. And so you have the Luminarians and the Atlanteans. The Atlanteans start studying what's known as what we call black magic. But remember, there's no distinguishing between advanced technology and magic. So we call it this thing known as black magic. And what is black magic? Black magic is ritualistic. And it often has bad connotation and outcome. There's sacrifice. There's, there's suffering. There's all of these different things that make up the ritualistic nature of black magic. That breeds a want, a need for expansion. And the Luminarians go, hey, whoa, Atlanteans, calm your shit. You're all a little crazy over there trying to take over land, take over resources. So that's what they start doing. They start branching out. That whole animal husbandry thing with horses could be the reason the Native Americans or sovereign Americans, Native Indians, sovereign Americans, worshipped horses and the breeding of horses. It's very important to their culture. Because the Atlanteans make up something known as war. Or the original sin is war. It's a corruption. Going from the Garden of Eden, flip it to this corruption of war, of expansionism, of, of, of control and, and this sinful, lustful idea. So the Atlanteans try to take over space, time, area. The Luminarians, they fight. Thus, the first war is born. And now the Atlanteans become this warring race. Well, the Luminarians are pretty fucking powerful, so they go, you know what, fuck you guys. We're going to wipe you off the map and start over. So they do. They sink Atlantis. They destroy it. But the Atlanteans have created what's known as this priesthood. And this priesthood is where this practice of black magics are. And the way we get that story is that the way the Atlanteans decided to take over was to send out their priests to all the different cultural societies. 
the Egyptians, the sovereign Native Americans, the Taoists, the they send out their emissaries to teach these 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 mystical, amazing practices, but only to the priesthoods. Only they 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 create the first secret society, the secret of keeping information, gatekeeping. So when Atlantis is destroyed by the Luminarians, the Luminarians are like, you know what? We're done with this this, this bullshit. We're out of here because they're 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 galactic presence. They got to go do whatever they want. It's like the billionaire class, sort of, kind of like oh, I just want to fly to Fiji. They just fly to fucking Fiji. It's, it's not a thought process. That's what we're dealing with here. It's such an advanced technological race that they're just like, you know what? We're done with Earth. We're out. And they just hop over to another planet. Like it's not. It's trivial to them. But when Atlantis is destroyed, we have all these priests that go off and they create these priesthoods. They can't go back to Atlantis. It's been destroyed. And they know if they do, they'll be hunted down because they've, they've created this corrupt system that now they're, they're propagating. So they create small little secret pockets of organization. Like again, priesthood of Egyptian, ancient Egyptian culture, the worshiping of uh, animal husbandry in, in the Americas, the... Uh, Incan societies, all of these monuments of pyramid shape that we find throughout all of antiquity, Atlantis was known to have a pyramid in the center of it. So you have these secret societies that pop up, all in worship of these Elo or Elohim, specifically one or the other, these factional sectional ideas. And thus the genetical experiments are over and now the human system gets to evolve from what we call evolution. But all those secret societies and structures, they stay known as the priesthood, the priestcrafts, the, you know, breaking of the cycles is what it teaches. So fast forward, you start to create structures like something like Buddhism. Hinduism, the Hindu, the Hindu culture's understanding of how these things work. And they clash. And the priesthood can't have this because this is things really getting out into light. That the, the pagan pantheons, that the multi-god pantheons shift from the Greek pantheon to the Roman pantheon, to the pagan communities of the North tribes. But they all have these commonalities these common stories. They all share the same backgrounds in that sense. They all fit, if you put them all together, to having these universal backgrounds. But you can't have that. So now you have to create something. You have to, you have to create a, a, a vast lie of creation. And that vast lie of creation comes from the idea of going, hmm, there's only one God. There was one, only one Elohim. There was only one Elo. And thus will give you the savior. We, that Elo sent a savior, a physical form for you to interact with. And thus we breed the Abrahamic religions to propagate war. Because one of the most powerful things you can do is create a faith structure and then teach another faith structure that if you don't believe the same thing, your faith is in question and you have to kill to get it back. You have to kill your fellow human so that you know you're in the right. 
because their belief structures are different than yours. And that's not okay. Can't have, can't have your faith can't be true. If someone else believes something else and you allow that to happen, that's not okay. Got to kill each other over that. And now you've created secret societies, secret organizations that rule over humanity. If you really go back and look at history, it starts to make sense that that's a plausible idea. Maybe it wasn't alien races that created us. Maybe it wasn't, you know, this, that, or the other thing, part of that story. I don't care. But do you really have faith in the situation we live in today? Do you really have faith that the people on the top have your best interests in mind? You got to question these things. It's totally plausible that we don't have the right story. It could be different. Go ask the Vatican. They got things they won't share with anyone. How is that acceptable? That means they don't have faith in humanity. That the world religions, the people at the top of the world religions that don't want to share true information, that the people sitting at the top high ends of the world governments have so little faith in you and humanity that they say, we got to keep it secret. Can't trust those morons. Can't trust those idiots with truth. That's why there's entire organizations of people known as truth seekers. Seekers of the flame. Seekers of this. Seekers of that. So what happens is that the secret societies, they pick these people out. And they indoctrinate them to their secret society. That's what the Masons do. The Masons are looking for young males that are lost. And they need... They need community and they need male presence and they need male bonding. But they, and they, they also want to know what makes up this thing known as humanity. What makes up these secrets? What are, what are these things you know that I don't know? What are the laws of the universe? What do you know? I want to, I want that information. So they seek people out like that and they trap them, trap them in their system, they trap them in their societies. And they fill them with this information. They fill them with a feeling of belonging and a, a feeling of, of right action and right way. But they're indoctrinating them. The Western medical system does this with the doctors. Takes a young woman out of college, well, young woman out of high school, sends her to, you know, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, you think you can go straight into medical school nowadays, but takes a young woman out of high school, sends her into the, you know, system of eight years of college to become a doctor, and she gets to year four, year five, and she starts her residency. And she goes and she learns what it's like to be hazed and to to work long shifts and hours and be given all the shitty jobs. And then she starts to believe this is the right way to do this. This is, the, this is the right method. I can have faith in this process. So she loses faith in herself and she gains faith in the Western medical system. And that's how you create an opioid crisis. Because no one questioned. Everyone had faith that the doctors were doing them right. The doctors knew the right answer. The doctors were there to take care of them. 
But the doctors forgot one really important thing. I'm not saying all doctors, just some doctors. This is the idea of how indoctrination happens by taking away the faith of the individual and making the faith of the organization. And the doctors themselves stop having faith in one of the most important things that happen. It's known as the hippocampus oath, the oath to do no harm. They stop having faith in that idea and start having faith in the insurance agencies, started having faith in big pharma, that the medical communities, they're doing the right thing. They're trying to save lives. And yes, that might be true at an individual level, but it's not true at an organizational level. Ask a diabetic how much they have to pay for their insulin, and you will find a world where no one gives a shit about the individual. All they have faith in is profits and money. We can afford to make less on insulin. They can. They absolutely can. The douchebags in their fucking giant yachts fucking jerking off on each other can afford to make less so that people don't have to worry about dying tomorrow because they didn't have insulin to take. They can absolutely afford to do that. The big banks can afford to make less instead of charging asinine amount of money for insurance policies. Yes, the big banks are a part of that. Where do you think the money comes from? Where do you think the loans come from? The insurance agencies can afford to make less so that the child can get their leukemia treatment instead of their parents having to take three jobs. And then even if they do survive the treatment and they do manage to get it, they grow up parentless. Because now the mom and the dad, or maybe just the single parent, is at work all the time. So they have to spend time in wherever it is they spend time now. Maybe that looks like a nice community rec center. Maybe it's the streets. Or a rundown home. Breaking down faith and making people stop having faith in themselves and their families and their communities and only having faith in organizations is the way you control society. A destruction of faith is how you control society. I don't, I don't know how many times I need to say that to people, but that's how you control society is to break down their faith. Because faith is a principal idea. You can have faith in the bottle of water. You can have faith in your fellow human. You can have faith in your pet. You can have faith in your religion. You can have faith in your spiritual leaders. You can have faith in yourself. You can have faith in using a tarot deck. You can have faith in the sun coming up tomorrow. But it's your faith. And you have to have it. Because that's where the control of the depression really starts. I didn't know if I was going to quite get into this part of it, but I'll most likely have to save it for another time because this episode is getting quite long. It seems my episodes just keep getting longer and longer. Faith is how we start to control our depression. 
Because remember, that depression is the, the taking of information and bringing it into the mental space. What we do with it there is what we need to have faith in. That you are having right action, right expression, right thinking. It's another one of the tenets in Buddhism. Right action, right thought. So faith is not only important to the physical body, it's important to the mental body, but it's also important to the spiritual body. And thus I think it's a ruling factor of spirituality is this thing we have to have faith. What we do with it is, is our is, is, it's our own decision. That's the lover's card. It's, it's a, the lover's card is an interaction of, of decisions. You know, do you, do you decide, do you, do you decide to pick the partner that makes the most sense or do you decide to pick the partner that speaks most to your heart? You know, neither one's necessarily a wrong answer. We have to decide. And we have to have faith in that decision because that's the two of cups. It's the instantaneous decision. It's the eyes meet across the room. It's the jump in front of the bus to save the child. It's the instantaneous action of decision, of faith, of, you know, I have faith in my body. I have faith in my understanding of geometry that I can get to the ball, you know, in sports and stuff like that. The, the, the soccer goalie, you know, has faith in their practice that, yeah, I can reach that. I can get there. And then they somehow make that amazing save. And we have to have faith in the idea of infinite possibility, which I think is where the most, I've said before, is where I believe the most original lie comes from. The most original lie that is that the starting point is creation. And that's not true. The starting point is infinite possibility. It's chaos. And that's the representation of the Ace of Coins. So there is this infinite possibility. And it can come with true, whole, total abundance. We have to have faith in that idea. And we have to have faith in the process. And we have to have faith in faith. We have to have faith, we have to have faith in what we do in the interim. That our decisions here matter. That our actions here matter. That living matters. For what reason, I don't quite know yet. And I, I certainly didn't completely go into my full plausible idea of, you know, real history with the Atlanteans and Luminarians and the Elohim and alien races and genetical modification of humans and, and all of these things that could be possible, true history that could be true that we don't know. But the important part is that we have to come to some understanding and it could be a shitty understanding. If you ask me, we're a harvestable resource. That's what humanity is. In some grand scheme in the scale of the universe, we're probably just another harvestable resource on the list. And the whole process of reincarnation, the whole process of incarnation to go to um, a heaven of sorts, the reason the Abrahamic religions have become so prominent and exist so forthrightly is because they give another option to get out of the reincarnation, to get out of the cyclical nature of being a, a harvestable resource, to go against the grain, but for what ends? I don't know. What else are we propagating? What else are we, we got to look harder. And that all has to do with, it's all based on faith. 
Community is based on faith. That's the whole, the, the old the, um, quoted saying, it takes, a, it takes a, a village to raise a child. That's all of these old sayings, all of these old methodologies. Anything that occurred before the 1950s, before Woodrow Wilson took us off the gold standard, when the real true war against the family unit occurred in America. That's what's been occurring. It's a war against the family unit. It is quite possible in today's society that if things changed, it could be a one-income family. Maybe it's only one kid and two parents now. It used to be two kids and two parents or two and a half kids. Maybe now it's just one kid and two parents. But the household itself could have one income. And we could learn from our past mistakes and we could get rid of sexism and we could say that it doesn't matter which fucking parent goes to work, but only one of them needs to, or maybe both of them could just work part time and they could switch on and off so that the kid could have the company of both parents and get that experience. But no, instead we've put a war on the family unit, which is a war on faith, but not the religious context of it all. Take the context out of the conversation. I've been screaming that from day one. But that's, what, that's the conversation of faith. That's what faith's all about. That's what faith decides. That's what faith makes the decision of. And that's what faith props or propagates that process in between, the hangman situation. You've made your decisions. Or maybe decisions were made for you. What do you do in the interim? You make more decisions. You create choice and change. You make correlation to structure. You understand the cyclical nature of chaos, creation, order, destruction. You understand how the primordials work. Maybe you define one of those primordials for yourself and you say, my God is the God of creation. And that's the God I worship. There's no difference in that than worshiping uh, Athena or worshiping Thor or Freya or worshiping Krishna. We're worshiping um, Samsara. We're paying homage to Baldur. Or um, giving reverence to the painted horse. Or saying a prayer to Basat. Or Ra, or any one of the pantheons, or gods, or beings, or understandings of the world around us. And maybe that, that little bit of faith gets us through your day. And it doesn't, who you do that with, whatever understanding you interact with at that level is yours and no one else's and no one else's gets to affect you or so it doesn't fucking matter what they believe in unless they believe in some like corruption of the situation where they believe in like a quote-unquote demonic force 
or a, a devil force or the Western understandings of demons and devils is something I'll have to get into another time. There are many other cultures have had a better representation of what that all entails, but it comes down to the worship factor of what they're putting their faith in. There are absolutely people in this world that believe they are not Satanists or satanic cults. They are people who worship death, destruction, and the lessening of others for the greatening of themselves. This is why all the mortal sins and all the pillars of things and all the belief structures that have ever existed warn against that. There's not much of a difference between someone seeking your pity and your praise and wanting to be better than you than someone worshiping that type of death cult situation. They want to sacrifice you for their own good. There's no difference between that and the big banks that will keep propagating the wealth gaps. And only the rich get richer. Similar idea. So hopefully I've challenged your faith enough and I hope that you challenge your own faith and you start to define your own faith for yourself. Because hopefully you've seen that it's really fucking important. Even down to the fact that I just picked up a tarot deck and was like, hey, what should I talk about? And I somehow came out to this topic, which I think is very prudent to today's society and cultural references. And what's happening around us every day. Had faith that it, 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 would, it would come out. It would make sense. But not just that. I had faith in another thing, which was my, my ability to talk and to speak and to reference things and to, to try to get a point across. And no, I'm not amazing at it. I'm not great at it. I have some skill at it. Yes, I won't deny that. But I know that it only reaches so many. There's only probably a small subset of the population that will listen to me and want to enjoy the sound of my voice so they do listen or enjoy the things that I talk about so they continue to listen or will even find this podcast to begin with. And it might be that I have to have faith in the idea that that audience, that you are an audience of 10 person listening to this right now, you are an audience of 10 and I thank you, but maybe it was, you're just one of the 10 people I was supposed to reach. And that's as important as this is ever going to be. That's the hangman. That's the being okay with the process in between that I have to continue to publish this podcast in that regard. Because now it doesn't feel like I'm done yet. But maybe my audience only gets to be 10 people. Maybe one of those 10 people will then go off and make something amazing out of what they learned here. Or will come back and leave me a review or send me an email and correct something that I did or said that will make me a better person. Or bring more peace to my life in some way. You don't know. So you just put in the effort and you do. That's faith. So go have it. Go have faith in something and build your own faith. I'm done on this one. It's been too long anyway. Uh, calls to action because I got to start putting these in more. If you do enjoy the podcast, please head over to taminghindrances.com and the archive and check stuff out there. Head over to purebulk.com uh, and use coupon code taminghindrances for 10% off. 
Um, they're an awesome company. They have amazing products. Check out their immune support. Check out their multivitamins, best multivitamin out there. Um, they're also a great place to get things like CUQ10 in bulk or get um, just a bunch of different supplements that you wouldn't think of that you can get in bulk. They have a new uh, Timothy over at Pure Bulk put together a new immune regiment uh, with vitamin C, quercetin, or quercetin, um, zinc, and something else I'm blanking on right now. But uh, it's a really good package deal. Um, we can get all those things together at a really good price. Uh, what else? What else? Archive that. Send me a review. That would be cool. I haven't gotten a review yet. It would be kind of cool to see. Um, but yeah, head over to the website. Check that out. I got nothing else for you. I'll see you in the next episode where I'll leave it up to the cards to what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> you never know. Take care. I'll talk to you in the next one. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.